This podcast provides audio versions of live webinars. Please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. Thank you for downloading the webinars podcast from Bite Size Bio, the missing manual for bioscientists. The full version of this webinar can be viewed by navigating to bitesizebio.com slash webinars and clicking on the name of the sponsor, which can be found in the list on the right-hand side of the page. Hello, this is Amanda Welch welcoming you to this Bite Size Bio web seminar, which today is sponsored by us, Bite Size Bio. Today's presentation is titled, How to Be Happier and More Productive in Your Work, and is being presented by Nick Oswald, Managing Director of Bite Size Bio. Nick started Bite Size Bio on a MacBook on his kitchen table in 2000 while in his seventh year is working as a postdoc molecular biologist in biotech. His aim was to share the know-how that he acquired from the School of Hard Knocks in the lab so that others could learn from his mistakes and small victories. Nowadays, Nick's mission is to facilitate the gathering of hardcore know-how from a whole spectrum of bioscientists and share it here on Bite Size Bio to create a super mentor that any bioscientist can turn to for much needed guidance. He also has a special passion for helping scientists to sculpt their career and day-to-day -day work situation that provides them with the maximum fulfillment and enables them to make their best contribution. As always, we will have a question and answer session after the presentation. So please type any questions that you have into the questions box, which appears on the right-hand side of your screen, and I'll put them to Nick at the end. So now, over to you, Nick, for the presentation. Thank you, Amanda, and thanks everyone for joining us. So, in a nutshell, I always seem to change the title of these things after the fact, but this is, in a nutshell, how to create a fulfilling career. It's kind of the second part to the webinar that I gave uh, earlier this year, which you might remember, if I can get this thing to work, uh, which you might remember, it was um, five principles for creating the career of your dreams. So what that talked about, that webinar talked about, was my very convoluted journey from being a scientist in the lab and deciding that I didn't want to do it anymore, starting Bite Size Bio, and then in January 2012, finally taking Bite Size Bio as my full-time job. So that that journey was ostensibly about you know making it and um, creating the career of your dreams, if you like. Bite Size Bio was exactly what I wanted to be doing in January 2012, and um, you know it was a it was quite a climb to get there. What happened in January 2012 was maybe not what you'd expect, though. So in January, I took on this job full-time. And in December 2012, I promptly had what is known nowadays, or not nowadays, but used to be known as a nervous breakdown. I hit the skids completely, and I was non-functional for about six months. There's lots of reasons for that. and um, but the, the take-home message is that getting where you think you want to be in your job is not enough. What you have to do is to make the job that you're in, you have to set the job that you're in up so that it can you can function optimally in it and you can enjoy it. But the good news about that is that whatever part of your career that you're in at the moment, you can use, uh, you can make it something that you love. And that's really what this career, this uh, webinar is about. It's about making your job something that you can love. So this is my thesis, if you like. It's my sort of last three years of experiments on how to how to do this. It's involved me faking around in the dark and looking at things and picking them up and figuring out whether they, whether they work or not, whether they work for me or not, and adding them to my toolbox um, and and then synthesizing them into a set of principles that work for me. And these are the principles that I'm going to explain or share with you today to see if they work for you. Um, one really important thing to say up front is that there's no silver bullet here. It's all a struggle. Everything in life is a struggle, and that's really, um, really what life is all about, isn't it? It's about trying to go into the struggle, or it's about going into the struggle. The struggle makes you stronger, it makes you a better person, and it actually makes you happier, even though it doesn't seem like it's going to be, the, be that way. <clears throat> a lot of this is summed up in this extremely cheesy quote that I saw on the, the wall in one of my friend's house, houses. Life is a, isn't about waiting for the storm to pass, it's about, to, it's about learning to dance in the rain. Okay, very cheesy, but what it's all about is that life's going to throw storms at you. And what you need to do is to set yourself up so that you are equipped to not only deal with those storms, but to to enjoy them. 
and to enjoy the growth they bring and to um, to enjoy becoming a better person from uh, from having embraced those storms and gone through them. What this is really about is how I um, how I changed my approach to work so that it became a place of self-expression rather than a, a rather than drudgery, which is a big contrast to anything else that I've ever done in my life. If you if you put it that way, so none of this is new. It's all a synthesis of these these things, these little light bulbs that I picked up in, um, you know, along the way, picked up in the darkness, and so off they worked. Those light bulbs are anything from taking advice from people, taking an amazing coach who gave a webinar a couple of weeks ago um, that you can have a look at on Bite Size Bio, um, to looking at wisdom that other people have published. Everyone says the same things, okay? So this guy, Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu, says the same things. Plato says this, Jesus Christ says a lot of this, and even this guy, um, if you're in Britain, you'll know this guy, is. you may know him in the US as well, he's the angry chef who shouts at everyone, but even he says this stuff. None of this is new, um, but every, everyone's saying the same thing, and the important thing is to get different perspectives and then figure out what's for you, what works for you. So, because a lot of people look you know look at self-help this is probably could would be filed on the self-help um the self-help uh, part of the, the bookstore and people say this is just more self-help bunkum none of it works it doesn't work if you just take one person's perspective and you and you try to apply that to yourself this is one person's perspective it's my perspective it might provide a particular resonance for you if you're a scientist because this is about you know a lot of this is me overcoming my scars from <laughs> being in science, I guess. But it's just one person's view. And you need to look at as many different viewpoints as you uh, you can and then experiment for yourself, figure out what works for you, and, um, and then apply it. And that's where the struggle comes in because figuring out what works for you is quite difficult and it takes application, it takes... Uh, it takes a commitment to the growth, a commitment to the struggle, and then that's how you that's how you get yourself out of the dark hole you're in, or get yourself to a brighter place, even if you are in a good place already. What this boils down to is that you are the product of the choices that you make. Okay, it's a quite a glib thing to say, but it's, that's true. You make thousands of choices every day, sometimes without even realizing it, and those choices are the results that you see in your work, in your career, and everywhere else, really. So, give me an example of some of those choices. Remember, these are happening every minute of your life. Should you eat that huge ice cream? Should you look for that new job, or should you just stay where you are? Should you work now, or should you procrastinate and um, put it off till later? That's an example of three different choices you can make that come up probably you know, versions of these come up every day in your life. And it's quite easy to see that uh, taking a different choice for each of these will make a, different, uh, a difference in your life, especially if you multiply it by the thousands of choices you make every day, and you multiply that by the hundreds or thousands of days that you've been around, hopefully more than hundreds, but the thousands of days that you've been around in your life. Those pile up to become the product, or the product which is the outcome that you see in your life. So changing your choices, the choices you make, change the outcome that you get and that, that is what I found over the last three years. Here's a startling fact, right, so if this is you, here's you, this is the creative, loving, expressive you, but that person is not the person who's making um, most of your choices. The person making, or the, the entity making most of your choices is we're going to call them this monkey, okay, it's your monkey brain. It's the primitive part of your brain that uh, that is reactive, not creative. This is the, the unfortunately most of us allow the the vast majority of us allow the monkey brain to be in the driving seat most of the time. So that a lot of the time that monkey brain is driving our outcome. So what I'm going to be talking about here is a set of tools that allow you, that allowed me to step away from the monkey brain and set this person up in the driving seat more of the time, not, not even the majority of the time, even setting the, 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 the real, the true you up in the driving seat most of the time 
will give you, or, or more of the time, will give you a, a vastly improved result. So here's kind of an example of how this can work. Right? So in any situation you have, that's any of those choices that you have, those thousands of choices that you have to make during the day, you can either engage the, um, the default pathway, which is this, which is the, the monkey brain up here. This is kind of, you can think of this as a center that processes things and with these sorts of um, outlooks on life. Fear, anger, zero sum, that means you, there has to be one winner, um, scarcity and survival. I mean, those tend to, you know, tendency is for that to become, to make choices that are bad for you and others. Or you can switch away from the default path, and this is a conscious switch, a way to, for, to, for you to sit in the driving seat and um, make decisions based on calmness, creatively, creativity, love, self-expression, all that sort of good stuff. And those will tend to, not always, but they'll tend to uh, give you better outcomes. So an example of you know, some, something you might encounter in the lab, an experiment goes wrong, what are you going to do? Are you going to take the default pathway? And are you going to get angry about that? Are you going to blame others and blame yourself? If you do that for the thousands of experiments that will inevitably go wrong in your career, that's going to stack up to make bad patterns, bad relationships, uh, bad feelings for you about yourself, lack of self-confidence and so on. It will also probably create worse experiments for you because you become more and more ten uh, worse results for you rather as you become more and more tense with the um, as you pile experiment on experiment, or you could choose to take the the um, engage the real you or the higher you and um, process that failure if you like that experiment going wrong with acceptance as a learning experience take it as a learning experience and then just move on and try something else. And though that's that's a very very simple uh, dichotomy there, that if you stack them up again over uh, thousands of days, they become a result that you get. So switching from in in this one uh, instance, switching from the instinctive monkey reaction to the the real creative you, creative calm you, um, will will give you one result, and then you can multiply that across the whole spectrum of uh, choices that you make in your life. So what we're talking about here is how I sort of, I, this isn't something I realise, it's something that I, uh, or something that I consciously have tried to do, it's something that I kind of realised over time um, and moved me from a position of being in, you know, broken to really enjoying my job now. So this is collected, you know, together we could put, we could talk about this as really making the, wherever you are now in your career as fulfilling as possible. Collectively, I I would call those monk you know, call this um, avoiding drama, right? Those are those negative sort of instinctive reactions, catastrophizing, pecking, you know, going or uh, enforcing a pecking order, react to things with fear, anger, all these things here. Those are drama, right? They're not actually what's going on. It's your imagination that is running riot, and that is what's driving the show. That is all from the monkey. The monkey loves drama, and the more we can step away from that sort of drama, the better result we get then. Again, a couple of uh, examples of how that can work. So instead of procrastinating, procrastination, which is driven by fear, I don't want to do this, I want to escape, you just get it done. You switch on, you get it done. Instead of something happening wrong, going wrong and you blame people or you seek to say that it's, you know, it was you rather than me or whatever, instead of that you switch on and you uh, forgive and accept, you build bonds, you don't break them. Instead of hiding in the crowd and saying, oh, I can't leave this PhD, everyone else is, do everyone else is doing this and it'll be a disaster if I do that, you just say, look, I'm going to trust myself and get on with this and move in the direction that I want to go in. These are all, all choices that you can make. Green ones are no drama, higher, um, you know, uh, the higher you, if you like, you, the switched on you, and the blue ones are what the sorry, the red ones are what the monkey would do. And remember that the monkey is the default. A really, really important point, especially in a profession like science, is that monkeys together they love drama together. There's a collective drama. Most of the people that are around you in the lab or in your life, anywhere. They are mostly being ruled by their monkey brains too, and that's where all this stuff comes to. 
comes from is that you know we push each other to routinely work a gazillion hours a week we criticize each other we get angry at each other we bully each other we get involved in politics we feel self-important all of these things are instinctive reactions that are have that drive bad outcomes and so the take-home message of that if you think of your lab and the influences that people have on you the take-home message from that is to just ignore your PI well I'm kidding you don't want to ignore your PI he or she knows has a lot of wisdom to give you but what you shouldn't do is put what your instinctive um, instinctive uh, feelings of what's good for you you shouldn't put them before what your PI is saying I spoke I did a, this a version of this presentation last week uh, in, in a university here and someone came up to me afterwards and said that her PI was driving her to because they had some uh, results that they needed to get her PI was driving her to you know that you need to try this try this try this do more and do more and do more and she felt she was driving herself off a cliff and she she was going to burn herself out in that case you need to take on what on board what the PI is saying there is urgency the thing doesn't need done but you need to step into a space where you're in control and um, that you listen to what you need so you say look I need I can tackle it but I need two days off first to give myself a, a rest so that I can come back and have the energy to really do this instead of blind, blindly following this sort of um, uh, pack mentality or this sort of um, collective um, collective collective drama instead of following that step back and think for yourself about what it is that you need and make sure that you react like you, you react on that basis and there's a really good book that kind of very forcefully puts this case it's written in the early 1900s by this guy and he his take-home message if he could tell you now would be to not be consumed by the group but lead by example so that means that you're that you what we're about to talk about is how to turn this switch on as often as possible so that you're in the and you're more conscious the higher you state if you like where you're not the, you're not taking the the monkey brain reaction how to switch that on as often as possible and then trust that judgment that, that gives you and not be pulled back by the pack and um, and follow their dramatic their drama this is what Ralph Waldo Emerson would tell you we hope you're enjoying this episode of Listen In from Bite Size Bio. To access the visuals of this webinar, please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. So what I'm going to talk about is five elements of a toolbox that I've put together. This is the retrospective uh, uh, sort of uh, analysis of the toolbox that I put together um, that helped me go from, um, again, on the floor to loving my job. So. It's five, two, five elements of the toolbox, and this is the first one. And the first one is to deal with your habits, and it's about programming the monkey. So, habits are unconscious choices that you make every, you know, every minute of the day, probably. And unless you consciously programmed your habits, the monkey chose those, and that's why most of us, most of our habits are bad ones. So, you get into work, you have a coffee and pastry. The monkey chose that. You get the alarm goes off. You hit the snooze button. The monkey chose that, and that means that every every day they end up either late at work or or cranky when you wake up or whatever. You have a ton of work to do. The monkey chose the habit that you get nervous, you get distracted, and that's called procrastination. And it, that eats up the you know that eats up the amount of productivity that eats up the productivity that you had. So a useful way to think of that is the monkey chose those, but you don't have to let the monkey keep on choosing them. You can take control and reprogram those habits. Again, habits are choices. Cho uh, choices. The accumulation of the of choices that you make are the results that you see everywhere. So, how do you reprogram your habits? Well, you could write a whole thesis on that, but there are some very simple approaches you can take. One of those is just to simply be aware of your habits. So, most of the time, pre two thousand and twelve, I didn't really pay attention to my habits apart from the ones that were really bothering me. But if you really look at your habits, you can see that there's lots of small things that you could change that would make a massive difference in your life. So just being aware of the habits that you have and what which ones are, are causing you bad results, that's enough. So you could you could eat, spend uh, a week, look, you know, just kind of looking at what you're doing, observing yourself, 
looking at what you're doing and noting down, oh, hang on, this is not good. This isn't, I don't want to hit the snooze button anymore or whatever. And um, make a list of the habits. And then a very simple process to set yourself, set yourself a 30-day challenge. So that's based on the, the idea that if you do something every day for 30 days, then you've kind of installed a good habit. And good habits are just as difficult to break as bad habits. So, for, you know, you could, uh, you make your list in the be aware stage and then you, you say, right, so I'm going to program in for one of those habits, I'm going to program in this habit in its place and you just do that for 30 days and um, and then over uh, within that time you'll reverse the habit. And this sounds very sort of uh, black and white, but it's not at all. It's, this is where the struggle comes because when you try that, especially for really difficult habits to break, you you might fall off the off the, the wagon ten days in, or two days in, or a couple of hours in, and then then the important thing is to get back on and try it again. The important thing in the thirty day challenge is not necessarily completing the thirty day challenge, but it's setting yourself the intention that you're going to break this habit and commit committing to to keep on going down the, the the road until you break that habit whether it takes you 30 days or whether it takes you 90 days so don't be if you try this don't be disheartened if you fall off the off the rails after day two I do that all the time the important thing is get back on and do it again be aware set out the habits that you want to break set the habits you want to replace them with try them one at a time and then commit one at a time to to nailing each one a less intense version of this is uh, is to um, pick off your high high me uh, pick off uh, small habits with uh, what these guys at Simplology call high me um, approaches. These are high impact, minimal effort. Okay, so for lots of the habits that you have, you can sometimes a small action will just will just disappear them without you having to put in any or minimal effort in. So that could be that you um, that if you always hit the snooze, snooze button, just move the alarm away from the bed, and that disappears that problem. Or if you if you tend to eat junk food, clear the junk food out of the out of the house or the lab, and just replace it with fruit. You know, and that will maybe not straight away clear the problem, but it'll certainly go a long way to making it more difficult for you to to carry out that habit. These Jaime habits, as I said, come from this app called Simpleology. So you'll find that at simpleology.com, and there's a free free um, it's browser based and there's a free version that you might want to try the free version is pretty powerful so um, I would recommend it what it does is it creates a habit out of you um, it creates a very high me habit of you come into Simplology every morning and you hit uh, the button what they call it start my day and you you hit a start my day button and it takes you through a sequence that sets up your day essentially sets up your to-do list but it does quite a lot more than that. It's well worth um, worth uh, looking at if you're interested in uh, in reprogramming your habits. It's certainly done a lot for me and making me more productive. A slightly more advanced way of reprogramming your uh, your habits is to is to use rituals. So that's just a string of habits that you insert into a part of your timetable, uh, your weekly or daily timetable, to make things happen for you. So for example, I recently installed a morning ritual that really has made a massive impact for me. So my morning ritual is I get up, I have a coffee because that helps me to motivate me to get up and I just sit quietly for 15 minutes and just let myself wake up and just be happy about the day that's coming ahead and, and stuff, just let my thoughts wander. Then I meditate for 15 minutes, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. And then I um, I do an hour of exercise, and there you go. There's a ritual. So it starts with me getting up and having a coffee, and then the string proceeds from there. And that small capsule of time, one and a half hours in the morning, repeated every day, makes a massive difference for me compared to falling out of bed, you know, late late in the morning, thinking all day I should be doing some exercise. Just launching into my work and um, you know without properly planning about what I'm going to do all those are uh, recipes for chaos and um, and dissatisfaction and and unhealthiness really as well and but a ritual like that can um, can 
set it up so that you just do it automatically. You've programmed the habit and the monkey doesn't have time to figure out what it's going to do. You're doing it anyway, you've already reprogrammed it. Um, another ritual that you could put in place uh, in, is that in the lab, for example, is that in, at the end of the week, instead of, um, well, in, in the UK here, we'd head off to the pub on a Friday, um, down tools, off we go. You could set up a habit where, um, or a ritual, where at the end of the week, you pack up your stuff and you, um, you know, you stop two hours early at a specific time, you pack up your uh, your experiments and so on, and then you open up your diary, open up a diary, and you write a diary of the experiments you did that week and reference out to any data or figures or, or whatever that came up. If you, that's a small ritual, so that everything's going to be tidy and clean, so you're ready to come in when you come in the morning, and also you've kept uh, on on Monday morning, and then also you've kept a diary which empties your brain for the weekend, so you can relax over the weekend and also makes it much easier when it comes to writing up because it's much easier to track your um, your progress over time. So those rituals, just like habits, you can program, it, program them in with a 30-day challenge. I'm going to do this morning ritual every day without fail for 30 days. And if I do fail, I'm just going to get right back on the bike and do it another, for another 30 days. That's how you program them, program them in. You sit down, you write them out what you want to do, and then you commit to um, embedding them for 30 days and the commitment is the important part. That sums it up. Better habits equals controlling the monkey, and that gets you better results. So the second tool is routine and segmentation. So I used to absolutely hate routine, and I used to openly rebel against it, and my wife likes routine, and I always used to do anything to burst open the routines and just make it different every day. That is quite an, uh, a recipe for chaos, as I've found out. And if you just if you just um, put routines in place, it makes your life a whole lot better. And actually, you, you can just have a lot more fun. You think that, or I used to think that not having a routine was quite fun. Actually, it's not. Having the routine and and building in space in the routine to have fun is the is the way to go. This is my experience. Again, you try it out and see if it works for you. So. This is the way I see lack of routine now. Lack of routine means that there's more space for the, the monkey to make those unconscious choices. If you think about it and you don't have a morning routine, you wake up and then you have to choose what you're going to do. And who's the person that, or who's the, the one that makes most of the choices unless you completely switch on and take charge? It's the monkey. So all this stuff's going to you know, go wrong. Like You're going to have rubbish for breakfast. You're going to sleep in late. You, um, you're not going to exercise and you're, um, you've got to work smelly and not ready for work anymore. That's chaos, and that's what the monkey chose. If you put a routine in place, you're mapping ahead the, um, the, the choices you want to make, and you're installing them so that the monkey doesn't have space to create them for you. So set up a timetable and segment it. Put in the, put in the fine spaces for the things that you know that you need to do. Work, rest, and play are the main ones. Make sure you have time for each of those. Schedule it in and treat it like an appointment. And then within your um, within your working day, and assuming you're in the lab, or within your working week, make sure you program in time for admin, whatever admin you need to do, lab meetings or anything else like that, for doing your literature searches, and for doing your experiments. What we tend to do, what I certainly tended to do in the lab, and then I carried that over into my bite-sized bio work, which then when I had no boundaries, it just all crashed and burned, was what I tended to do was to just smear these across the whole day, mix them up. I'd be doing an experiment and in the middle of an experiment reading some literature and um, or worrying about the fact that I hadn't done enough literature searches or doing, some, uh, doing admin and panicking because I had to get an experiment done and so on. If you set aside time to do each of these things, then you're able to bring them, bring full focus to each one, and you will get much better results. So, as I said, programming in a routine like that it programs programs your choices ahead. You write it out, and you say, "This is what I do on a Monday morning. I have three hours for experiment. I, I do one hour of getting set up and planning what I'm going to do. I do three hours of experiments, have a break. I do two hours of admin, and uh, you know, or whatever." Whatever it is that, that you think will work for you, program it in ahead and then just follow it. 
program yourself. Of course, with experiments, it's it's often a bit more. Um, it's a bit, it's not quite as predictable as that all the time, but as close as possible, you should you should set up a routine and follow it as closely as possible. Setting up a routine also does something that I alluded to uh, just a minute ago, and that is allowing you to focus fully at each segment. So when you're doing an experiment, you want to be absolutely focused on that experiment. So there's no distractions, and you're much less likely to make a mistake. You bring your full self to it, and then you're mo much more likely to be able to get a good result. It doesn't guarantee a good result, but it means that you're more likely to get a good result, rather than that you're um, you're doing an experiment and you're you're distracted because you're also reading a paper or you're also um, filling out your lab book or something like that. Each time that you engage in any activity, uh, you should set it up so that you have bring full focus to it. It gives you more satisfaction. It gives you better results. This is a really good um, quote. That commitment to the routine is freedom. I used to think that no routine was freedom, but it's not. If you commit to the routine, it means that the stuff that you know need, that needs to be done will be done, and you know that there will be it will be done to the maximum uh, of your ability, and you'll also have time to do the stuff that you enjoy, the play and the rest and the other stuff. If you're, you know that if you want to do something, you just program it into the routine and do it. That's why commitment to the routine is freedom. So the third tool is to prioritize your energy, not your time. That gives you fuel to be you. It takes energy to switch away from the monkey to you, to the real you. And um, so you have to conserve your energy so that, uh, or manage your energy so that it's always there, so that you can always be switched on to bring your full self to every task that you do, or as many of them as possible. Or every choice that you make is probably a better way to put it. So we as scientists, certainly in my time, in my experience in the lab, we as scientists are really bad at managing our energy. We tend to spend extremely long hours in the lab. In my experience, a lot of those hours are not very productive at all because you kind of your your brain only has so much bandwidth. It switches off at some point, and you uh, you know, like for me, it was the middle of the afternoon. It would switch off for a few hours, and and then you you know. You don't really get much done, even though you're still doing work. Uh, you're certainly not resting. You could be using that time resting. What this is. So what what this this does that this, this culture of spending long hours in the lab and um, just basically devoting our lives to nothing but science, it just uh, brings everything down. In my experience, look at these guys, athletes. Would those guys train for 16 hours a day? Would they skip on resting? Would they neglect their minds in as much as they only focus on the, the very narrow things that, that um, the, the very narrow things that, that pertain exactly to their jobs? They wouldn't do that. You would never get a, an athlete training for 16 hours a day, for example, because then they would just be exhausted when it came to stepping on the track. This is why you need to program in things like rest, fun, social contact, and so on. It's so easy when you have a deadline. Scientists always have deadlines. We always have a paper we all to, to create. We always have a, or to get figures for. We always have um, exper an, a vital experiment that needs to be done. There's no end to the amount of work you can do. You can just turn it right up to the max, and there's lots of peer pressure to do that. If you don't program in these things, then you just deplete your energy, and you're working most of the time in monkey monkey brain mode because you're so tired and then that leads to uh, burnout. You need to prioritize these things and bring them in. What you also, uh, I, I think you also need to do is to, I, I when I was in the lab I was encouraged to not really read anything except science because that was a waste of time. That's crazy because there are so many other um, other things in the world, other viewpoints in the world you can learn from. Even if you just look at science, right? I just looked at all biology when I was doing my PhD. And then I went into biotech and, and started speaking to engineers and chemists and wow, what a difference that makes just looking at your science from even those different angles. But if then you look at um, some self-help bunkum and you look at uh, how to, you know, 
uh, literature on how to write or you look at philosophy or you look at art or sports, science and anything like that, there are all sorts of different ways to look at the world and all, as many viewpoints as you can take, those build your, um, your those all build into your understanding of science and your enjoyment of it. All that's set up so that all that the idea behind that is also that you step onto the track with 100% focus and 100% energy. You schedule things, scheduling those those replenishing things so that by the time it's time to do an experiment, you're 100% there. You're not exhausted because you've just worked 16 hours doing um, low-level attention on uh, on random things in the lab. When it's time to do an experiment, you know it's time to do an experiment. You've set up, set yourself up on the track to go, and you give yourself, give your your all when you do it. That's what conserving your energy is all about. Um, and this is the best book that I've seen on this is this one. It's called The Power of Full Engagement, and it's available in Amazon if you uh, want to have a look at it. It's all about applying kind of the way athletes work to any other job. This is probably the best tool, most important one, and probably the one that I would least thought. If you asked me two or three years ago, would I be talking to science, scientists about uh, about meditation? I would have said, I thought you were crazy. But actually now, I can see that it is the possibly the most important thing you can have in your toolbox. This is all about putting your true self in the driving seat. So remember we talked about the switch between the monkey brain, which has instinctive choices, and the, the your true self, which um, will tend to bring more creativity and acceptance and things to um, to any situation. Presence and meditation, or working on your presence and meditating, help you to work that switch. That's the way it works for me, anyway. Again, this is the guy making most of the choices for you. And what meditation and, and practicing and working on your presence is all about is bringing this person forward and making sure. That the, when there's a choice to be made, this is the this is the person who we, or this is the the thought center, if you like, that makes the choices. You get better choice. You make that'll bring you better choices, and uh, or that'll help you to make better choices, and those choices accumulate over time to give you a better result in your life. Okay, so presence. Presence is quite difficult to explain, and it took me a long time from kind of hearing of it to or reading about it somewhere or someone told me about it, it took me a long time to figure out what it meant. The best way I can describe it is you know when you're in the tissue culture lab and you are pipetting out a gazillion dilution or you know you're you're uh, working with a million different petri dishes and you've just been pipetting them out for the last half hour and then you realise that you can't remember what, what happened in the last half hour. That's being not present. Okay. And then being present is when, uh, say, something like, say you were about to be, uh, you were in a car accident, you were about to be in a car accident, and you just sort, you just uh, woke up and evaded the car, right? That's that me. You you kind of woke up and you made a decision. That's the diff That's the sort of extremes of presence. I would say, you can sit here now and and try to get present. Basically, just realize that you're kind of sleepwalking a little bit and then say to yourself, I'm here and be aware, see as much as you can around you, feel as much as you can, feel your heartbeat, um, see everything, breathe, take a deep breath and feel the breath. When you do that, you can feel yourself kind of waking up. And it sounds really weird, but that is you, that is, when you do that, that brings your higher self to the to the fore. If you can, that's, just, that's you switching between the kind of, slightly dimmed, unaware state and the fully awake state that's more likely to um, be able to uh, be able to react in a, in a positive way for you. You can practice can taking control of that switch and one way that I like doing that is um, when I'm in the shower in the morning, I have it on nice and warm and I really enjoy my shower and so on and then the last thing that my monkey brain wants me to do at the end of the shower is to turn it on to the maximum cold, right? So what I do is to practice taking control there. I get to the end of the shower and I just say, right, time for the cold shower. And my monkey brain's going, no, no, no. And the true me goes, I'm switching it on and I'm going to enjoy it. And then you turn it on and 
you enjoy being alive, right? There's nothing like the cold shower to a cold shower to wake you up. But more to the point, you have just practiced, or I have there have just practiced turning from the slightly um, dimmed monkey brain approach to switching myself on. Once you start to do that and you see how that switch feels, then you can start to do that in your real life. Um, you can see when there's a there's a cake there that you know you don't want to eat, your monkey brain's going slightly dimmed. You're going, oh, I might eat that, and then you say you can say to yourself, no, and wake up. You say, I'm here, I'm waking up, I'm taking control, I'm not going to do that. When someone annoys you in the lab, you can start to get angry and go, actually, you know what, that's the monkey, I'm waking up. I'm going to react differently, and I'm going to give myself a different outcome. Again, the more you can do that, the more you can bring that presence to each situation that you're in, each choice that you have to make, the better results you will get cumulatively. So, meditation. This little guy is meditating, or at least he's copying what his dad does when he's meditating. And meditating, is, there's a lot of hocus-pocus around it, and it can go quite deep, I suppose. But there's some very, very simple reasons for, um, uh, very basic reasons for meditating. At the very basic level, it lets you, meditation allows you to take time out and unplug. So you say, you develop the habit that I'm, go I'm going to, you say to yourself that I'm going to meditate for 15 minutes every morning. You develop that habit, and that means that all you do as you, you get time to relax and unplug, right? I had this uh, experience in my when I was doing my PhD and I was just completely stressed and every minute of the day my mind was rattling through the experiments that I needed to do, what the results, what, what, uh, what the results had just got meant or the results I didn't get, what did that mean? And, you know, my brain never stopped. And, um, and then my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, suggested that we should... Uh, why don't we go to a yoga class? And she was going anyway, so I just went along with her. And the at the end of the yoga session, the instructor said, okay, now just lie down and relax and don't think about anything. And I thought, what? I can't, I can't not think about anything. I've got tons of stuff to think about. I, re I literally thought that, thought that to myself. I can't stop thinking. And then I realized, actually, I can. I, I, and it actually feels quite nice. What I, Unplugging like that is really healing if you take the time and you just allow nothing in, if you, like, you allow nothing to fill up the space. That is incredibly healing and, um, and relaxing. What meditation also allows you to do is to develop focus, and I'll tell you about that in a second. So what you do if you want to meditate, you may already meditate, but if you don't, then uh, this is what to do. There's no chimes or chanting or incense or anything like that. You don't need to do that. You don't need to to um, fold yourself up into some uh, incredible position that you can never get out of. You just sit quietly. Don't lie down because you will fall asleep. But sit quietly for 15 minutes and just focus on your breathing. And all that does is, it, all, all that focusing on your breathing does is allow you to focus on, on something other than what your brain is saying to you. And when you're doing that, you can then start to observe the, what's going on in your brain. So you become the observer of the thought, your thoughts. Give it a try, and it takes some practice, but if you focus on your breathing first, then you start to realize that, hang on, well, my brain is still going, but actually, I'm still focusing on my breathing, and you, and you see a, a, a space between the two, and you can start to, um, to look at the chatter that's going on. As I said, so you become the observer. That's your true self when you become the observer, and the chatter is the monkey. That's the stuff that's just going on automatically, and the true self is the you. So. When you can do that, that's just, just like the, taking the cold shower allows you to see the difference between the on, on and off state in, in your pre, you know, switching on between the presence of the real you and the monkey, if you like. When you do this in meditation, you, um, you start to be able to see the difference between the chatter that's going on, the, those kind of emotions that are just swirl, swirling around in you for no reason, or uh, for reasons of your imagination, and you can you can see how you can just there's, there's a kind of there's a kind of quite, sometimes described and I think that's quite quite apt. There's there's a quiet place that you can that, that is you. you when you're breathing you can realise I can be in this quiet place regardless of that chat that was going on. Just like when I was in that yoga class, I could be in a quiet place regardless of all the stuff that I felt was going on in my PhD and was so important at that time. I can at any time I could at any time have stepped out and taken a bit of time to recharge myself and to see the difference. 
between what my monkey brain was telling me and what the real me was. Then, when you then just like with the with the um, taking the shower exercise, taking the cold shower exercise, this allows you to see the difference between the two states, so you can begin to differentiate, so that you can consciously bring the true you to um, to any situation. And again, it's just like weightlifting. The more you do it, the stronger you get at it. Now, what will happen also when you meditate is you'll is you'll feel uncomfortable and you'll feel you're fidgety. Um, apparently, I can't spell fidgeting, but um, you'll feel like you you know you'll feel jumpy. And the reason for that is your monkey brain doesn't want to sit still. It wants stuff to happen. It wants exciting stuff to happen. It wants to be entertained and to see stuff outside. It doesn't want to be looking you know know what's inside and so that's a good exercise if you can you know if you sit there and you can as you practice meditation you can become calm inside and you can see the fidgeting going on and that's the restlessness of your monkey brain again that allows you to see the, the difference between the two state you know what the real you and the monkey brain and that that is what helps you to develop focus because focus is when uh, loss of focus is when you feel uncomfortable, you're bored, you know, you're doing this work and you're bored or you just want to get to the end of it and so you feel uncomfortable and you just go, oh, I'm going to just procrastinate. If you, in meditation, if you put, your, you put yourself in a situation where you are actively taking control of that and you're saying, regardless of whether I feel fidgety or uncomfortable, I'm just going to sit here and, and stay in this space, then you practice being able to focus and it actually increases your productivity massively doing that. There's a deeper level to this, I won't go too much in it, but when you, so as well as hearing, you're looking inside yourself, if you like, in meditation, and as well as these sort of, um, the chatter that's going on, there's also all sorts of emotions and feelings and things, physical feelings swirling around, and those, you can think of them as the kind of non-verbal monkey chatter, and those drive a lot of your unconscious behavior because you feel uncomfortable, so you do something, or you, you, you feel an emotion that washes through, an old emotion if you like, and, and you react to it. And um, it's a really strange phenomenon, but if, you just, uh, if you're in that quiet space and you just look at those things happening, any pain or any uh, um, negative emotions or uh, any feelings that you're having, just look at them and it helps to reduce them and um, just try it and see if it, that works for you. But it's, uh, there's a lot more to meditation than the simple stuff that I described. Um, but that's it. This is kind kind of the the third level benefit I would say of meditation if you want to get into it further. So what we're talking about there is creating a space between the monkey brain and you, and pushing them as far apart as possible so that you can dis you can choose which version you want to be in. Sometimes you want to indulge the monkey brain. You say, you know what? I've done a lot of work this week. I'm just going to kick back, and the monkey wants beer, so it's going to have beers, and you have as many beers as you want, and off you go. But it's, a, it's about consciously choosing because the monkey is the default position. So the meditation is about, and the presence building is about, um, is about consciously choosing the this, you know, the true you state over the monkey brain. The routines and habit building are about programming, reprogramming what the monkey brain said, so that, that it's something that, that, that you're doing things that the that the that you chose actively. That's what all of this is all about. So the, the and the fifth tool is to focus on the process and not the results, and this is extremely powerful, especially in science, because probably the most heard thing in a science lab is we really need to get some results, and that's such a destructive statement, because how can you get results? Results that are not are not in your control. For one thing, you can try you can do an experiment to see if a result will, the result you want will occur. But more importantly, results are in the future, and and you're not in the future. So if you're focusing on getting a result, you are not focusing on what's happening right now. Which means that whenever you do an experiment or something to try and get that result, you're not bringing your full attention to the process that you're going through to try and get that result, and you you become agitated, right? And you don't, uh, or, or you become less focused, and so you don't do as good a job. 
The process is what is happening now. And if you focus absolutely fully, if you commit to, feeling, to focusing on the process, then everything changes. You get better results, but you also feel a lot happier and a lot more fulfilled in what you're doing, and you can get a lot more done in a shorter space of time. The monkey wants you to fast forward to the result because it just wants to get stuff. It just wants stuff to happen. It doesn't want to be doing that boring stuff, all that pipetting and um, planning and meticulous stuff that you want to do. So why, so if you're listening to the monkey while you're doing the pipetting or aliquots, you're thinking, get to the end, get to the end, get to the end, then you say, hang on, did I actually put that stuff into this tube that I was meant to, and stuff like that. If you, whereas if you focus straight on to, if you focus on what you're doing, if you enjoy the pipetting, if you focus on doing as as good a job as you can in the um, in in this exact moment, you will get a better result. So, whatever you're doing, whether you're pipetting aliquots or you're doing uh, cultures or you're um, you're doing a presentation, or you're washing dishes in the house, or you're walking to work, or you're sitting with friends, slow down a little bit. Straight away, that lets you focus more on the process. The monkey wants to exit the monkey brain. Everything, if you notice in your life, everything accelerates. It feels like time goes faster. It feels like the days flash by. That's because you're in monkey brain mode. You can consciously say, right, I'm going to slow down to 80% or 70% of my normal speed, and I'm just going to enjoy right now and I'm going to feel and hear and smell as much as I possibly can. Now, you can't do that for very long in the beginning because that requires you bringing up your true self. You say, I need, you know, and you only have, maybe your muscle for doing that isn't very exercised, but the more you practice it, the more that you can um, bring this sort of um, feeling in, in your moment, in the moment, no matter what you're doing. You can even learn to love doing 100 aliquots. Right? You can just make it so that I've, your commitment is to focus on the practice of making those aliquots and then you'll move on to the next thing when it's done. You'll feel and hear and smell everything when you're doing uh, your aliquots and you will end up with a perfect set of, or you're more likely anyway to end up with a perfect set of aliquots at the end uh, rather than when you're just bashing through and just trying to get it finished and, um, and doing it in monkey brain mode if you like. You might be saying, haha, that'll never work, but that is the monkey talking. The monkey is insidious at trying to get what it wants. It's very crafty and it'll make things look stupid, it'll make things look like these aren't the sort, or it'll make you think this isn't, this isn't the sort of thing that I, I do or the sort of thing that works. Don't listen to the monkey, just try it. Okay? Stop listening to the monkey and just give things a try. Try experimenting with your life and seeing what results you get. Being process focused means you will have a higher quality of work and you'll get more enjoyment and fulfillment. You focus on enjoying what you're doing and being fulfilled in what you're doing rather than just trying to get it done. Then, as I said, everything changes for you, but it does take practice. You have to consciously choose to do that and then you have to commit to practicing it every day. And as you do that, you will get uh, become more able to do it. Another, one way to really... Uh, get good practice in doing that is to radically focus on doing one thing at a time. Right? So if you are walking down the road, just walk down the road, don't listen to any music, don't speak to anyone, just walk down the road and focus on becoming aware as possible, smelling everything, seeing everything, just be taken as much as you can and really enjoy the walk. Or if you're washing the dishes, wash the dishes and really enjoy what you're doing, feel what it feels like and feel the feeling in your body as you do it and feel your heart beating and all that stuff. Or if you're eating, don't talk to anyone else, just sit on your own and thoroughly enjoy the food. Doing that allows you to become process focused. If you know, Food's a good example because you notice a lot of people, what they do with food is that you get a plate of food and then they finish it. And a lot of the time you don't even notice you finish the food. But if you come back, to that's being, they're focused on getting the food eaten. If you stop and you focus on absolutely enjoying the food, you'll get a lot more out of it. And also then you'll be practicing, you're, um, practicing becoming processed focused. This is an exceptional book that lays that, that concept out in the, um, the best way that I've ever seen. So I would uh, thoroughly recommend it. It's written by uh, a guy who's a piano tuner. 
He tunes um, concert pianos for a living, so he does an extremely meticulous job on a very high pressure, pressure situation. And this is about how he uses a processed focused approach to, um, to cope with that and to do a great job under pressure and really enjoy his work. So this is a summary of what I talked about. So basically what we, what we were looking at is five tools to make the place you're in now as fulfilling as possible. And it's all based around avoiding the monkey brains day-to-day -day drama by setting things up so the real you can be at work as often as possible. So that the real you is making as many choices for you as possible. So the real you is driving the results for you and not the monkey. The five tools I've talked about were to consciously develop good habits because that programs you got an autopilot, so you may as well program the autopilot. And that's what develop, consciously developing good habits is all about. And we talked about becoming aware of the habits and then doing 30-day challenges to, um, to nail each habit. Uh, the next thing we talked about was choosing good routines. Um, so it's just layers on top of habits. So it's kind of like mapping out your habit for over chronologically. Um, and then segmenting inserting time for each of the things you need to do so that whether it whether it's time for fun or whether it's time to do your admin or time to do your literature or time to sleep you can approach each of those with the ma the maximum amount of unencumbered focus the maximum amount of presence so that you can get the most out of them you can enjoy them as much as possible and you can you can get the maximum benefit from them as much as possible Next thing was to prioritize, prioritize your energy and not your time. So that layers on top of um, your schedule, scheduling so that you're, you're always conscious that you don't just do too much of one thing. Too much work, too much play, too much sleep. Each of them will pull you in the wrong direction and, and, um, and, uh, and lower your energy. The important thing is to balance your energy so that each thing you do replenishes the next one or replenishes your energy for the next one. The more energy, so that you're always topped up with energy so that when it's time to do the next thing, you're on the start line 100% ready to go. Talked about being present, practicing being present and meditating and that was, that was about operating the switch, feeling for the switch between the monkey brain and the real you and becoming better and better at using it and also on the very basic level, just making time to unplug. Um, e even if you don't go any deeper into meditation than that, you will still get a massive benefit. And then focusing on the process and not the results. And that means regardless of what's happening around you, regardless of whether you, um, you get the result you want in the lab, for example, regardless of whether things are going well for you, you focus on doing the job that you're doing or doing whatever it is you're doing, whether it's in your job or just in your day-to-day -day life, you focus on that and you focus on getting the maximum enjoyment out of everything you do and then suddenly everything becomes much better because your energy is high, you're practicing becoming more and more present in your day-to-day -day. and so again when it comes to making choices, your, any choices that come up in that time, your monkey, brain's the, uh, your, uh, the, the monkey brain is in the background and you are the one in the driving seat. So that is, was my results so far on how to create a fulfilling career based on my experiences from 2012 until now. And it's definitely a work in progress, but, uh, well, I'll keep you posted when, they, when I have an update. Thank you, and I'll be, look forward to getting your questions. Thanks, Nick. That was an excellent presentation. We have a few questions from our audience, and this one is from um, Dake Zeng, and he, they ask, when trying to divide a goal into smaller tasks, there are always new areas I'm not familiar with, and I do not know how much effort each task will take, so therefore I'm not good at making a proper plan for a new goal. Could you give some suggestions on that? So if you, don't, if you, have, a, if you have a new task and you're trying to plan that out, yeah, I guess that uh, you're trying to you're trying to plan it out, but you don't really know what it entails. Is that what? That's what it seems like. Like you don't really know what it entails, or you don't really have a good um, basis on experience for figuring out how long that task will take. Yeah, that's quite a common thing, isn't it? Especially um, you know when you're doing 
Yeah. Okay. So yeah, when you're in research, I, that happens a lot. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> when I used to work in industry, and we used to have to make plasmids, and uh, they would ask us how long it was going to take, and you, it's impossible to tell. Um, I guess that my approach to that would just be to, you know, you have to accept from the beginning that that it's going to take you, uh, it's going to take you longer than you think. There's a thing called the the fudge factor that helps with that. You know, when you when you approach um, different tasks, you tend to underestimate or overestimate your um, the amount of time it's going to take you, and it tends to be fairly constant. You can use that. You know, you say, so you say, I always need, I tend to need double the time that I think that, um, you know, when I do task, I, I think it's going to take me two days, and it takes me four days. That's just the way it works for me. That's one way to approach it. But the other way to look at that is that when you are it's going to take how long it's going to take, and instead of focusing on um, the the result, if you like, instead of focusing on the result and getting it finished, you just say, at the moment, I commit to um, I commit to getting this thing done, and these are the steps I think I need to take, and I'm just going to follow them, and I'm going to commit to being as fully focused as I can in them. What you don't want to be doing is kind of panicking during the the process and um, and thinking that you know, panicking during the process and thinking I need to have this done by now. You just have to commit that that it's going to take you as long as it takes you. I think that's another way to look at. That's a good way of thinking about it. I think. Um, and then we have another question about um, from Rafaelia. Uh, what if we have a ritual and work interferes with it? So how do we cope with it when it's not to us, especially when something is inevitable or sudden that comes up that you couldn't necessarily plan for? Yeah, so your your rituals have to be real life proof. I would say um, you um, so you can take the one thing is you can take that into account when you program the ritual. Like you can have a backup. Like I have a backup plan for my morning ritual that if I if one of my kids is up all night or um, I sleep in late, I have a backup plan which is a more compact version of the ritual so that I can still do it and I can still do a placeholder of it without you know even though I didn't manage to get up at the normal time. That's one way to do it. Um, you could simply just do it, have a backup plan that you do it at a different time of the day or something like that. But that's always going to happen, especially you know in science where your again your work's less predictable than a lot of jobs. But I, that's so I guess that would be my answer: is have a backup plan. Yeah. A consciously thought out backup plan. Yeah, and then it's not quite so sudden. It doesn't disrupt your pattern too much. If yeah, the other way to look time. The other way to look at it is if you um, is is if you don't make a backup plan, then it's going to go wrong at some point, and then who's going to be making the choices at that point? It's going to be the monkey brain. So you don't you need to have a backup plan that where you've said you've thought this is what's going to happen, and you've thought out what this was going to happen, and then you just execute it. That makes sense. And then we have a question from um, Satish Kumar about how to overcome obstacles from external factors, such as people who do who are not interested in your progress. They try to put blocks and prevent your progress. So I guess toxic I think, people, maybe. I, well, that's absolutely where self-reliance comes in. Then you have to insulate yourself from other people. If you do, and you have to do that really aggressively. If there are people who are um, who are bringing you, you know, who are doing things that don't work for you, then you need to, you know, you be open to any good stuff that comes from them, but you have to completely insulate yourself from them. And that means that the stuff that they do, you either avoid it, you know, the, the negative things you do that will affect you, you either avoid it, or you just consciously decide that you're just going to let that slide and you're not even going to react. It's a, quite a good exercise, actually, because, again, what what those negative people are going to be tending to do is, to, is, to, is triggering a, a monkey brain response from you. Right, they're going to be making you feel fear or anxiety, or um, or feel bad about yourself or something like that. And you can consciously say, when that happens, my program reaction is going to be this, and this is you know a higher level response. That is, I'm just going to walk away from it, or I'm going to say something back about that, or whatever. But you don't you don't allow that group or individual to um, to, if you want, you know, to harm your inner peace, if you like, <laughs> you know, or or the other way to look at it is you've you've made a conscious choice about what you want, and you don't let other people interfere with it. 
what you're doing then is you're being the leader, as exactly as uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson there said, that you are not being consumed by the group, but you're being led by, you, you're leading by example. Yeah, and I think that um, just knowing how you're going to deal with things ahead of time could also help with um, decreasing stress. So I think we have one less question, which is if you could choose one action to help improve your work happiness and productivity, what would you be? If you just want to choose one of these things, mm -hmm. I would uh, so toss it between either meditation or the most practical one is this thing. Get this book and read it and then do what it says in that book, which is developing the, the practice of focusing on what you're doing now instead of what you want to happen in the future. And that will make a huge difference in your life. Well, it did for me anyway. I, 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 I indulged in self-help bunkum. It might not make a huge difference in your life. It made a difference for me. You should try it and see whether it makes a difference for you. Oh, and we have one more that just squeezed under the, under the wire. So this is from Yari. Um, relative to the first question, I'm always very bad at estimating the time things take, but even with those things I already know. I know that I'm slow, but I never want to admit it. So I keep trying to squeeze all the tasks I need to do into my schedule, and of course I never manage to accomplish them on time. How can I change that? Yeah, I do that. Well, I, I'm certainly trying to work on that, is that I give myself too much to do, and then that puts you in a state of kind of perpetual panic. That's a bad thing, obviously, because that means that the monkey chose your schedule, right? You have to sit down. What I try to do now, I'm, I'm working on this at the moment, is to say, what can I realistically get done today and um, you know and and then just commit to doing that and one thing that Simpleology app that I talked about that's what that is all about it's about putting all the tasks that you need to do into a bucket and then every day developing the habit of just choosing what you can do today you know bearing in mind that the, the, the stuff that you need the other stuff you need to do is still stored in a list somewhere so I would recommend um, diving into Simpleology and trying that if that's the problem. What I tend to do with simple, what I tend to do with Simpleology is still overfill my list, so that's what I'm working on at the moment. Overfill the list of things that I have to do today. Today, so, um, but at least I'm aware of it, so I'll sort it at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of the seminar. So thanks again, Nick, for a very illuminating presentation and a great discussion. And thanks to you, the audience, for taking the time to attend and listen in. If you've enjoyed the seminar and would like to view the video recording of the session, please visit the seminar's page on bitesizebio.com. It should be available within the next 24 hours. There, you can also see the other webinars we have lined up for you in BiteSizeBio's webinar festival. So until next time, good luck in your research, and goodbye from all of us at BiteSizeBio. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the webinar. To view the full video version of this and all of our other webinars, please visit bitesizebio.com slash webinars. Finding the right mentor can make all the difference in your research journey. But what if you don't have one? Look no further than Mentors at Your Benchside, the podcast that offers curated advice from experienced researchers on lab skills, techniques, and career progression. With short, easy-to-access episodes, you can get the help you need to succeed in the lab. Visit bitesizebio.com forward slash podcasts or search for mentors at your bench site in your podcast app to subscribe and get help and advice from seasoned scientists.